Welcome to Afterlives with Kara Cooney, in which we discuss ancient Egyptian history and relevant current events that we think will be of interest to our audience. I am Kara Cooney, and I'm a professor of Egyptology at UCLA. This podcast is separate from my teaching and research roles at UCLA. In recent years, I've become active in communicating with the general public about the history of ancient Egypt through lectures, interviews, social media, books, and guest appearances. This podcast is my opportunity to take the kinds of deep dives into history that are not always possible in academic formats. Hello. Hey, how you doing? Good. (laughs) How are you? I am stressed, but I know you are too. Yes. Because we're both in the UC system and everybody's like really stressed. We're on strike. Mm -hmm. It's not, still not uh, settled. No. So... So, you know, I'm going to give my, my NR grades non-reported and you guys will come back when you come back. And it's now an arbitration, which yeah, I think is good. Yeah, they had to get good. an outside mediator, which yeah. apparently has been what they've always done. It's always gone to outside mediation. Well, why didn't so they just do that to begin with? I think you can't. I think it has to go through like a certain protocol. So much theater but, and pageantry. Yes. It's all, it's all game. It's, and and they're just going to fuck us over hard anyway in some way, shape or form. Yeah. And by us, I mean the humanities, mm-hmm. <laughs> lest I be misunderstood. Yes. Students and professors alike, and we'll just have to we'll just have to deal with it. Adapt. And, yeah. That's what we keep doing. Anyway, so we'll we'll keep um, doing what we do and educating as we do. Yeah. So but that's why this podcast is great. Yeah. We can. Yeah. A little different from our academic lives, which might be stressful and yes. depressing. Yes. Well, and the other reason I'm stressed is because <laughs> yes, the book, your book that I can never finish, that I can never finish. And I keep saying, oh, we're almost there. It's going to, it's going to be wrapped up soon. There, though. Yes, it's true. But, but now it it's going into ending. Christmas and it's just like, it's, ah, uh, it's really annoying. So that's good. I've read parts of it. Yes. Three chapters. Yes. That's good. Okay. So, well, just, I just keep I going. It will be a hit. A hit for, you know, the 2,000 people that buy it. Oh, well, that's, you know, academics. That, that's good for yeah, an That is. For book. an academic book, that's fine. You know? I'll take it. I think, honestly, with you having so many, like, color images and photos and stuff, it might actually have a wider reach than just, like, pure academics. And we're trying to keep the book around 100 bucks. Yeah. So, you know, and it's going to be a great big coffee table type book with yeah. lots of images. I think $100 is okay. But I think the fact that you're publishing a lot of coffins and color and good photographs that haven't been published recently and yeah. I think like that just by itself like data wise oh no data wise know, it's, it's huge it's amazing it's very very important so I think beyond you know all that stuff so I think yeah. it has multi you know audiences that it can hit yeah but I you know how many months have I been saying maybe years at this point when the coffins book is done then mm-hmm. I will do x y or z um and and it's kind of like a, a second or third dissertation I don't even know what it is but yeah Probably more than dissertation. It's yeah. No one been able to collect that much data in a on these PhD. pieces. Yeah, it would be it, it would be hard. Years. Yeah, it would be hard with that many people yeah. to be able to collect that kind yeah. of data. No, I don't think I could have done that yeah. as a PhD. That would have been really tough. Yeah, really tough. But anyway. But good. Well, so maybe we can distract ourselves a bit today <laughs> yeah. with some Patreon. With I some love Patreon it. questions. We have yeah. some leftover questions from the Tut episode last month right. in November and then we have some new questions as well and as usual I'm flying blind yep so Both flying blind go, go, um, go ahead give, give me the, so, give us the questions yes. and we'll go so and, yeah so first we'll do the top ones that um we didn't like fully answer or right. I feel like we didn't touch upon enough from the from November's episode has the anniversary officially passed yes okay because there's less of it right less of this tut mania than there yes. was before it died down a bit good yeah um I was asked last night if I'd been to the immersive LA thing no and I was like no it's I supposed was- to be good that's what Jeff said. Apparently, it does like a good job of contextualizing the artifact and yeah. stuff, which I guess is good. I've never been to Tut's tomb. What do you mean? I haven't. How have you not been into Tutankhamun's tomb? Because every time we go to the valley, I prioritize other tombs. It's which like makes I, sense. Because it's not that. My God, I've been in there so many times. I'll probably go this time. But, I mean, if I were going to choose between Seti the First and Tutankhamun, it's obvious. If I yeah. were going to choose between Ramsey like, Six and Tutankhamun, it's or obvious. Or I'm going to go Absolutely. It's, it's obvious. You wouldn't do Tutankhamun. Yeah. Yeah. So. I've seen so many pictures of it, and it's small. So, and you don't even get to go completely yeah. in, and it's and it's super crowded, and exactly. 
And like, as we avoid all the tourists, and that's where the tourists are going to be. It's so. true. Walk on by. But yeah, I so, actually get that. So I thought I was like, eh, no. Okay. So Lexi asks. Um, hey, Lexi. He will be here in person Yay! end of January. I can't wait. She's moving. She's moving into WeHo. That's so great. So it's exciting. Um, I always thought Tut's mom was Kia. Hmm. But now DNA study says it's the younger lady mm -hmm. whose identity is unknown. Right. Although, since DNA also shows she was Akhenaten's sister, who do you think this younger lady was? So who was Akhenaten's sister? The younger lady, who has then been identified as also the mother of Tut. So then the younger we, lady has been identified as the mother of Tut. And also the sister of Akhenaten. Right. Of uh, the KB-55 mummy. If we're saying the KB-55 mummy is Akhenaten. Right. So we have to go a little right. pedaling. Right. So this is all circular argumentation. Yeah. And, and given all of the circular argumentation, what I have done in When Women Ruled the World, and I, I think I've published this in other places, but it, it doesn't really matter. And it's not my jam. Mm -hmm. I don't work on... Um, family reconstruction or try to well, deal with all of Well, part of the issue is we don't know anything about Kia, right? Like, no. we don't have any, like, oh, she was the daughter of so-and-so or the sister of Akhenaten. We presume right. if she was, we would have right. known more about her. We have very little evidence of her, so it seems like she was kind of just a random mm -hmm. harem wife. I mean, it makes sense that because Tutankhamun became king that he would have a mother who was recognizable. But that's not always the case. Tutmos III became king yeah. and he didn't have a mother who was recognizable. So unrecognizable was his mother, Iset, that, that she has one statue and mm -hmm. she wasn't his regent when he became king as yeah. a very young boy. So it's not necessarily the case that whoever becomes king is was recognizable before. And obviously Tut came to the throne like in a, like it wasn't planned. He wasn't right. like, it wasn't, you know, he was of age or anything like this. So... They picked the presumably, I mean, however, this whole post-Akhenaten thing went down, which right. we can debate. Right. However, he came to the throne. It wasn't like a, you know, normal succession. Right. He might have not been, you know, the heir apparent and, you know, a son of a minor wife or something like this even. Or there's so many different options. Yeah, it's it's like a lot of the DNA discussions um, produced by Hawass et al. That's, yeah. About who Nefertiti is mm -hmm. and that they've identified her mummy and clearly she's this or that. And I, and for Nefertiti, for, to start there, I'm like, we don't know who her parents were. We don't know where she comes from. We don't know who she is. Yep. We know nothing about her relations. How would you go about identifying her except through Tutankhamun, who is not necessarily Related her son? Her. Yeah. So what, what are you actually going to do to, to identify Nefertiti as a go mummy? Go through... Tut's and Ankhus and Amun's kids, mm -hmm. because they would have, because we know Ankhus and Amun Her mother was Nefertiti. Nefertiti. Yeah. So if you went through the kids, the fetuses, the fetuses they have, yeah. you could then get to the mitochondrial line. Yeah. Yeah. Is that my, what they did in that article? Maybe. I'd have to look in into it more. My whole thing is, what complicates all of this yeah. is that there's a bunch of incest. Yeah. And so what would look like someone's father or someone's cousin. Yeah. Could also be your uncle or yes, your, si your sibling, yes, right? If you're all these mitochondrial and the Y chromosome, all these yeah. haplogroups are all the same. You can't tell anything then. No, a half brother so, like, is going to look the same as, as an uncle. Yeah, or, or, or an or uncle, a close your cousin. parent, and your uncle's. Would I think exactly a cousin same. would be a little less DNA than an uncle or a half brother. But if, maybe like, not. Your no, sibling you're, is you're marrying right. your other sibling. Then it's like your yeah. kids are siblings. You're right. So you. So that's where I would things start. Get super complicated. That's where I would start. What we have is Tutankhamun's mummy, mm -hmm. and from the genetic analysis thereof, they have been able to prove, and I don't, I'm not a geneticist, so I don't know how to do this, that he was the product of incest, yeah. that his maternal and paternal lines are very similar, and they're able to show this yeah. in some way, and shape, I've or form. I looked at that study, yeah. and it's like, they all have scoliosis, a lot of them have cleft palates, yeah. a lot of them have cleft feet, huh. which is what Todd had, but multiple of them did. Club feet. Club feet, sorry, yeah. yes. Club feet, or of some type of foot dysplasia or something right. like this. They all had like very similar deformities yeah. throughout the line. Yeah. And it's, you know, since they're all... It's the end of the 18th dynasty but, line. Yeah, but even like marrying cousin to cousin over multiple generations, like isn't good. <laughs> right. But so let's say, he, because the incest study that, that I saw said that he's the product of incest that's 
pretty close. Yeah. Like brother, sister, incest. But then that's why they say, okay, the younger lady is Tut's mom. Right. The cave 55 mummy is Tut's dad. Right. And then you have to say, okay, who are those people? They say cave 55 can be either Akhenaten or yeah. maybe Smenkaure. Right. Based off who you believe dating of the body is correct. Right. There's multiple different dating. And then the KB55 mummy is you say, okay, it's not Nefertiti because like all the other records, we don't have her being Tut's mom. And right. we don't have any records of Nefertiti being Akhenaten's sister, right. daughter of T and A3. But we also don't have that for Kia. So is Tut's mom just actually a random sister slash well, cousin? That, that's what I... So just taking circumstantial historical evidence and leaving those KV-55 bodies to the side for one moment, yeah. which is an important part of the discussion, but let's leave them aside for one moment. You have Tutankhamun's body that shows incestual production. Yeah. And you know that his father is Akhenaten because it says he is of his, his father yeah. or son of his body in yeah. one text. Okay, fine. And so Akhenaten's his father. Nefertiti, there's no evidence whatsoever that she is his sister. None. There's uh, no... Akhenaten. Yeah, to yes. Akhenaten. Yes. There's no evidence whatsoever that Kia is a sister to Akhenaten. Exactly. So Does he have who, any sisters that we have That we know of? of, no. But we do know, historically and circumstantially, that Akhenaten did have incestuous... Uh, sexual relations with his own daughters. And so why can you not then make Tutankhamun a product of a father-daughter incestuous relationship such so that Nefertiti would still be related as his grandmother? Uh, so you're saying the KV-55 mummy would be Nefertiti? But, but no, the KV-55 mother would be married Aten, soon to become married Amun. But the DNA says it's the sister of Akhenaten, not his daughter. But we're arguing that maybe it would kind of show up the same because yes. of all the incest. Yes, because okay. you can't tell which generation is which. Yeah. You can only tell it's the amount mixed. of the DNA. That's yeah. it. That's it. So I would say that's married Aten or married Amun. So it would be his mother rather than his sister. But it would actually be a little bit more because she's also at the same time his at, aunt his, and his, his aunt. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And so he is a product of incest. But that's just taking circumstantial historical yeah. data from what you've got available. And to me, that makes the most sense. And then once you've got, okay, he could be the product of a father-daughter relationship, which a lot of Egyptologists don't even want to encounter yeah. or talk about. And that's why they, they want, why brother-sister is somehow okay. Yeah. Um, whereas father-daughter is not. They're but both they, I mean, really the fucked up. Doing that. It was like uncle, niece, you know, yes. they were marrying like across yes. generational lines like that. Yes, and so. look at poor Charles II, mm -hmm. exactly. Then, but, yeah, so then you would look at the KV-55 bodies and be like, okay, now who are these people? And you could get some different understandings. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I think the DNA, either we, our types of analyses that we have, that we're able to do now aren't specific enough. Mm -hmm. So maybe in the future we'll be able to delineate things better. Yeah. Because um, there's too many breaks in the code. Or that the incest is too tight. Yeah. Like, it's impossible to tell, like, really, like, who's dad versus uncle versus cousin versus sibling or... right. Something like that. And we don't have enough relations of that family, perhaps, too. Right. So. But, like, big picture. Yeah. You have an 18th dynasty that's totally incestuous, yeah, yeah. trying to keep their power in the family. And then, in response to that, you have the end of the 18th dynasty. You have I and Horemheb, who are trying to distance themselves mm -hmm. from that and they're not of, part of the family. Who are not part of the family and who are having to defensively rule and say this family is aberrant, problematic, we are going to not be like this family. And then the 19th dynasty is like, you know what? We're going to be as far away from this yeah. family as we possibly we're erase can. erase them from the records. Right. <laughs> yeah. Of course, things will always get incestuous again to try to maintain power. So you have Ramses II doing the same thing. And he will elevate two of his daughters. Whether he has offspring with them or not yeah. is debatable because he doesn't talk about it. But Akhenaten does actually talk about yeah. it quite openly. Why we can't accept that as Egyptologists says more about our own taboos than it does yep. about the ancient Egyptian taboos. And people in power, they do crazy shit to keep their power. Mm -hmm. Why are we surprised by this? Yep. None of us should be surprised. Yep. They're still doing crazy shit to keep their power. And Trump thinks Ivanka is hot. And that's the way patriarchy works. Yep. And if you talk to people who are, who have had to deal with sexual assault within the family or sexual abuse within the family, this, these kinds of power dynamics are the norm in patriarchal systems. Why should we not expect them in the ancient Egyptian patriarchal Having system? Red under banner of heaven. Damn. There was a lot of that going on. 
Just hang out. On, I, I follow this one woman on Twitter named Bex, and she's awesome. And she just reveals all of the youth pastors and evangelical mm -hmm. ministers who are raping this person, that person, grooming right and left. And this is what patriarchy creates. And that's what power systems, unequal power systems in which women and children are commodified as value to their patriarchs. Mm -hmm. That's what you get. Yep. And so why should we be surprised that Tutankhamun is the product of a father-daughter relationship? It makes perfect sense to me. Will I prove it ever? Yeah. No. No. But, but like, you know. But like in some of the FDLS stuff, it was mm -hmm. like, you know, someone, she came from a different marriage, had kids from a previous marriage, married one of these guys. And then the guy was like starting to want to institute plural marriage and wanted to marry her daughter. Yeah. Like he's not related to her. But, but like, still. and then like, you know, or she found him like, fondling her daughter and like little things like this. And so that's like that. in a formal fundamental Latter-day Saints context, but then take it, put it into a, Imagine a prairie. Imagine king's a god. A king's a god and then he can do he that with, his, with whomever. Yeah. Or just a normal patriarchal situation in which stepfather comes in and decides that the, the daughters are his as well. Mm -hmm. And the mother doesn't, in any situation, anywhere on this globe. And, and we are very much helpless to do something about it when that patriarch brings in all the scarce resources. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's it's really gross, but it's what humans have done. And <laughs> lest we think that we're different from this, yep. um, I, I think we should look at it as systems of power and how they yeah. actually work in terms of genetically trying to keep that power in the family. Yeah. So, so. I guess for the genetics, yeah, I don't. I think the jury's out. I don't know if we'll ever really like know exactly these relations yeah. between all the different people of the late 18th dynasty well and it's so you say that i think it's purposefully shows us that it was very messy and complicated and so you say that and you give nuance to this discussion and you say oh we'll never it matters and you say it doesn't matter and we'll never really know and i agree with you 100 percent and then you go into the National Museum of Egyptian Civilization and you will go down into the lower level and you will see these bodies marked 100%, no nuance, yes. no, no uh, discussion that it could be this or it could be that. This is this king, this is that queen. They were related in this way and it's just completely positivistically presented. And that is power in its own way mm -hmm. too. So when you reclaim these kings and queens and king's sons and king's daughters of the past, you also want to present them as Hawass et al. do, as they are definitively yeah. this, and we have proven it with scientific means. And a little nuance would be helpful in yeah. these discussions. Well, no one likes to hear the, oh, we did this big study, and eh, we really don't know still. You know, they want yeah. the, oh, we found so-and-so's yeah. related to so-and-so, so this body must be Nefertiti or must yeah. be Kia or it's something, It's your history right? channel, your yeah. history channel you know, story. they want some big, yeah. they don't want like a, Eh, like maybe. Yeah. Um, so we'll see. Maybe, I don't know. Maybe we'll. And the fact that we care so goddamn yeah. much is really extraordinary. It's really extraordinary. But. Well, to yeah. me, like what I found was more interesting about the study was like, oh, like what parasites they all had. Like they all had yes, malaria, like weird stuff like that. Or super like, interesting. Like other little bits that like. Schistosomiasis. Yeah, like things yeah. like that. Or that yeah. they all had like cleft palates mm -hmm. and I was like now just picturing this like royal family of everyone with like cleft palates and really bad scoliosis mm -hmm. and club feet like walking around yeah <laughs> like a3s had like almost worst as bad club feet as tut wow so and it's like no one ever portrays him like he doesn't have any walking sticks or anything no. like this and he was also very how interesting so it's like it changes how you think you know tut gets all this disabled talk yeah but yeah. you could easily talk about it in a much more broader sense yeah Okay. Drew Varney the Vampire. Hello. Um, okay. So this <laughs> She's is reading the question and she went, okay. So <laughs> this is a broad question. So if you had a chance to research any aspect of the life and legacy of Tut, what would you choose? I think I know your answer. Really? You do? Yeah, his coffins. Oh, yes. <laughs> well, because life and legacy. Yes, but, but life. That's but part yeah, of it. if I could look at any object, and I were going to be very physical about this and not get in my yeah. time machine, I was yes. already okay, in time you were machine mode. Like going back. Yeah, I'm like I'm going to go we back to time and both. figure it out. 
Um, but yeah, if I were going to go to a museum space and I needed to study objects, I would get those coffins out and I would do an examination for carpentry and I would build a crack team because I'm not a carpenter and yeah. I don't do all of these joins. And I would bring people in to examine all of this yeah. stuff. And I would do chemical analysis of the different resins for varnish and the paints and pigments. And I would do stratigraphic analysis and it would be, it would be a whole lot of fun. Yeah. Okay. So then if you got in your time machine. Oh, okay. If you got in your time machine, what if would I, you want to know? If I got in my time machine, I would want to know how he came to the throne. I would want to know if if Nefertiti had died naturally mm -hmm. or if she if something happened, right? Because if Neferneferuaten is her, and she's obviously making inroads back into Thebes and going back to the old capitals, Memphis and Heliopolis ostensibly too, yeah. then I want to know what's going on. I would want to know what that... The transition little, of power yeah, was behind the from from Nefertiti as co-king, maybe soul king, whoever Smenkare is. I want to know how it goes from Smenkare to Tutankhamun. Yeah. So that's the most interesting to me. Yeah. And then I want to know if Smenkare was a, was a woman <laughs> mm -hmm. and it went to Tutankhamun as the next viable candidate, but they married him to Ankhesenamun. I want to know how much Ankhesenamun is regent over this situation because mm -hmm. I imagine yeah, more, I think quite a bit agency and stuff Qu she's cool. much older than yeah. him she's ruling things that would be cool to yeah. know more about her and then I went so then it's, this is more than one thing I'm so sorry I'm greedy in my quest for knowledge I but I would want to know how much Ankas and Amun had to put up with the bullshit from men like I and Horemheb yes. or who are trying to shunt her to the side mm -hmm. and she's but, married to this little boy exactly and how much power she has versus them and how that that or could, what how she's like using or manipulating right. Tut because he's the king and... But Akhenaten set her up to fail because he empowered a military yeah. to such a degree that the military can come in and shift her to... Just mm -hmm. just move her to the side. Yeah. She doesn't have any power mm -hmm. in, in the long run the way the women did in the 6th dynasty yeah. or in the 18th dynasty. Now we're, we're already with Tutankhamun moving into a 19th dynasty post-Amarna yeah. reality. And, and she may have fought valiantly within the court, but that's not where the power necessarily mm -hmm. was anymore. It was in the institution of the army and soon again within the institution of the temple. Yeah. So, but, she, but the temple being hamstrung and her not having that position as priestess, mm -hmm. what's she going to do? Just she no has no institutional power like Hatshepsut yeah. did. So There's no leverage. Wouldn't see I would want to know, yeah, like... I mean, yes. The original. I think also would be really cool. But if it's what I'm going to look at, right? I mean, yes. obviously, yeah, we well, drill this is a just, hole. If drill you had a, a chance, goddamn hole to the back of the tomb. Research. You guys, Amber is like gesticulating wildly going, but the tomb, the tomb. Um, it's true. We would go to the north wall of Tutankhamun's tomb and see what the hell is actually behind it. I think too, it would be, be interesting to know, like, like Tut dies. They move back to... Memphis, Thebes, yeah, and they're bringing people. Like T stuff ends up in the Valley of the Kings. If KB fifty five is Akhenaten, like he ends up back there too. So like this transition back to the older capitals would be interesting too to see yeah, that it would. that working at its way out. And how do you win hearts and minds? And how bitter are people on the other side who have been impoverished? You've had their institutions mm -hmm. drained of all viable resources. Yeah, switching the priesthoods mm -hmm. in the back and. Like, did they take their god statues and melt them down? I bet they did. They're going to chisel out the name Amun, and you think they're not yeah. going to take the solid gold statuettes holding the, the god's soul and melt that shit down? Of course they are. Yeah. Of course they are. And then what kind of bitterness does that create? And like the workman's village, you know, like Daryl yeah. Medina stops functioning. Yeah. And then it starts functioning again. Mm -hmm. So it's like everyone moving back and getting like resettled. And yeah. like what happened to Makata? Like... You know, what was going on there? And, and all the people who aided and abetted and, mm -hmm. and, you know, do they get punished in some way? Yeah. Um, the who's, collaborators. Who's the scapegoats? Yeah, yeah. that have to take the yeah. fall to yeah. make it all right. And Because it is a military coup. And the things mm -hmm. that would happen or do happen with a military coup would have happened here. So think of Egypt's revolution in 2011, and then you get Morsi, no one wants Morsi, you get Sisi's coup, mm -hmm. and he takes power with the military. What the military then has to do and would have done in ancient Egypt is set itself up as the purveyors of a 
good, pious, moral, religious way of living. They would have been the Truth and Reconciliation Commission, in a sense, trying to broker peace. But if they need to move people to the side and eliminate and disappear people, they will do it. Oh, yeah. They will do it. So the things that the ancient Egyptians don't write about because they generally culturally don't like to write about these negative things. They like to write around or talk around these things. Um, It would be interesting. That's what we want to know. We want to (laughs) go and talk to people and and hear what's actually going on. Like, I don't know, like a palace doorkeeper or something somewhere just to like eavesdrop. Yeah. Like what's actually going on? No one's listening. Just tell Mm -hmm. me I'm from the future. Yeah. (laughs) Let me know. Let me know where to look. Yeah. Okay, uh, Katie92 asks um, about a TV show. So I don't think either of us have seen this, but on Discovery Plus, there's a new documentary called Tut, about Tut, called King Tut, A Century of Secrets. Have you seen it? And if so, what are your thoughts? I don't think both of us have seen it. I haven't seen it. I haven't seen it. But I guess so, we can talk more generally about, you know, with the centennial, there's been a boatload yeah. of Tut documentaries And we out. can't keep up with it. And and even, like, about, like, the decipherment of hieroglyphs and stuff, too. And I, I don't know about you, but, like, I avoid watching them. Yeah, I do. Because they usually annoy me. Yeah. And make me angry. Because they're usually, like, not... They're usually very sensational. Mm-hmm. And they op, obfuscate. And, like, and having been a part of yeah. them myself and having seen how the sausage is made, I'm I'm kind of cynical and over yeah. it. And knowing that good content can be made, everyone go to Amazon and look at my Out of Egypt. I only made six episodes for a reason because it was a lot of work to do it right, but I did do it right. Mm-hmm. And if you can do a, a television show about antiquity and pre-modern ways correctly, why do we keep doing the same old shit? Yeah. It's because people want to see it. Yeah. And the Netflix show is a case in point. And we're not trying to take this... Tutankhamen, 100 Years of Secrets out, you know, and say that it's like this new Netflix Graham Hancock thing. But but these things they flirt with. They well, flirt always, with the idea of mystery this, and magic yes. and what you don't know. And we like will reveal Thero's it. And like curse and, yeah. you know, a century of secrets. It's like, Se- secret knowledge. What secret? Yeah. <laughs> like, you know. Well, but there, I mean, maybe what this Tutankhamen show is about is how Howard Carter took things from the tomb and, and they end up in the yeah. net. Right? How Lord Carnarvon took things from the tomb and they end up in in mm-hmm. um, his home and other places. I mean that that's completely possible. And so I don't know I, I don't actually it. know. What? I have a doubt I doubt it though. Because if it's a hundred years of secrets, then it might be about that expose that Mark Gabold revealed about the jewelry. Okay, well, and such. I can read you about okay, it. And ahead, I think just the description will be enough to tell us. Hosted by Josh Gates. The world's leading Egyptologists are on a quest to uncover the secrets of Howard Carter's history-making discovery of Tutankhamun's tomb on the 100th anniversary of the greatest archaeological find in history. And just having watched other of Josh Gates' shows, yeah, I'll leave it there. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's your typical... I mean, his other shows were like Looking for a Bigfoot. Yeah, yeah, and other yeah, things. Yeah, yeah, and like he always ends up like coming back around to like facts. Yeah, but he always dabbles with it in the very beginning, and yeah. I'm like, we don't need to do this because it pulls the people it pulls in, the or people so they in. think. And I'm so like, why think. are we even entertaining the idea? And then you always end up on the facts, and he always ends with like a good conclusion, but it's always in the beginning. It's always this very. I mean, it's what we do as Egyptologists. We're always there, using the interest of the public yeah but people are interested for the truth is interesting enough we don't need to make it sort of sort of like people like okay just case in point my book the good kings yeah which has has gotten a lot of criticism with from within the field by people who don't like being criticized by me Mm -hmm. and where i go in and say oh you like gold you like treasures do you like authoritarianism do you like absolute power and how this social inequality that's created to make these things take so much from so many other people when people actually have to look at it with an unjaundiced eye or a more jaundiced eye they get they get very upset they get defensive they don't like it it's hard to rationalize what you're doing whereas if i had (laughs) written yeah but if i had written something that was all about the mystery and magic of of these kings then you know that kind of shit sells so I, I get why they do it. I know what people want to see. And in these days of late stage capitalism and late stage, God help us, we hope, patriarchy, it's still what people 
who study antiquity or who are dilettantes who are interested in antiquity want to know about. Yeah. They want that angle. Most people do. I think that, that my work is very much an exception for Egypt in terms of people looking at this stuff through the lens of power mm. and how it takes from others. Instead, we just want to like hang out with the rich people and say that we did. And isn't this so cool that I know this exclusive knowledge because, you know, not many people know this and I know it. And then you yeah. go to your cocktail parties or whatever and tell people that the Sphinx is really 10,000 years old. And if you don't believe that, you're fucking stupid. I mean, <laughs> this is, these, these Egyptians are still working on our simple minds today. And we don't want to see that authoritarian propaganda can last mm -hmm. for 3,000 years beyond their existence. Yeah. But it does. Yeah. And that's what these TV shows are. So. And I guess that's not as a pool for no. aliens. <laughs> People don't, they don't, they're like, wait, you're saying I watch this because I'm just attracted to patriarchal power? And I'm like, yes, you are. And all of us are because patriarchal power creates these narratives that make us feel safe and like everything's going to be okay. Yeah, like, creates, you know, grand monuments, but you're not mm -hmm. thinking about like, okay, who suffered in the building of this grand monument? You were just looking at the beautiful monument. I mean, Jordan, you know this. Same right? as like the World Cup in Qatar. Like no one's, yes. you know. And you look at the look Everyone's at the like, people in the soccer. stands so of the fun. World Cup, and what do you see but privilege? Yeah. And look at the people in the United States, and I'm just going to go to the United States. We could go to other places, yeah. but look at the people who are interested in ancient Egypt, or who are interested in ancient Rome. They're always privileged white people, yeah. and these privileged white people want to see their own power in current society justified, so that they can be made innocent of any of the shit that's going on around us. So. You know, our Substack is called Antiquity Now, and it's this. This is real. Yeah. All of these shows, they upset you. They upset me. But really, when why they upset us is because it's just a giant apologist rerun of how we can feel good about the fact that we live on stolen land hmm. and that we this country was built on the backs of enslaved people. So we can be like, oh yeah. And, you know, Egypt did it that way, too. And it's just the way it's always been. Yeah, yeah. And it's fine. But we participate in it. And we're upholding culture. And we're awesome. And let's learn about the secrets of the past. Mm -hmm. It's all bullshit. It's all just bullshit. But then I, I waver and I go, like, I watched those stupid shows when I was younger. So did I. And, like, that's what got me interested in stuff. Right. And so I do think they serve a purpose, obviously. Yes. And then, you you know, you get more into it. You start reading other books. And you, yes. like, figure out what the show is, like, what their ploy is and all this stuff. So, like... I'm not saying don't watch them. No. Because like they have a purpose if you're interested, if you find them interesting, but just be critical yeah. of them. Be critical. And, and when then, I was younger, like I wasn't, but then you start, well, you know, and if you're just like remaining an interested public, like. So I gave a keep... talk at the Bowers not long ago. Yeah. Bowers Museum of Art in Santa Ana, California. And there was this older white dude who after my talk about my book, The Good Kings, was like, so you're just throwing it all out. You're just saying horrible things about the Egyptians. I said, no, I'm not. I'm saying that the Egyptian kings had a great deal of power, and this is how they went up and down and up and down throughout their history. Yeah. He's like, but you're taking all of their art and you're just throwing it aside. I said, no. I am saying when you see things of extraordinary beauty being created, who gets it? Mm -hmm. Who had it made? What kind of system did they have to create to get those statues and temples and clothes and other things. Yeah. So I'm just trying to point out, Not throwing it out. the You're social exclusion the to change yeah. that narrative and say, whom does this serve? So now that you've taken something like, I don't know, what would we, what's something that's hyper exclusive today? Like some rich person's home out yeah, in like, Encino or something uh, on a hill and they own the whole, whole hill yeah. and they have like a whole compound. Or like a private jet. Or a private jet or something. So say that, you know, 2,000 years yeah. from now, they would dig up that home. And then all the tourists get to go and see the home. And so we all get to consume it. And we get to see, oh, my God, they had three pools. And they had, like, an mm, elevator. Yeah. And we get to go through it. And so we feel like we are like them Connected. for a brief moment. Yeah. That, that stuff is ours. I bought a ticket. Mm -hmm. I'm taking pictures of it. Here's my selfie of me they in front of it. They, too, did something like me. Yeah. Right. So they, they ate here. So, yeah. And you're a person of privilege able to take the time off from your job to mm -hmm. be able to go see that. So you're now connecting yourself with those rich people of the past and saying, I am like them. Them. Mm -hmm. And when we did that as children, I think that that socialization is, it's a part of how we were socialized to think that we could participate in that conspicuous consumption mm -hmm. and think that there wasn't anything wrong with it. Because when you and I grew up as white yep. women, white girls, 
people were not talking about how we live on stolen land and everyone who built things like the Capitol building or the Pentagon were enslaved people or people working under Jim Crow laws. And this is a very recent anti-patriarchal phenomenon Mm -hmm. to be talking about these things. Black people are like, no, it's not recent. And I get that. Indigenous people are like, yeah, fuck you. It's not recent. And I get that. But for the white girls that we are, it's super recent. And when we saw these things, it was innocuous. It was safe. It was like, oh my God, we're building nice things that I get to have without even thinking about. It. I just walk in because I have this privilege. In the ancient world, it was just like that. Mm-hmm. And it's not just like that. And that's what we have to now have to see. But then people are like, you're tearing down my pharaohs. Fuck yeah, you. Yeah, yeah. And, I, and I get that. Like <laughs> I really do. Breaking up your narrative. Exactly. And, and they hate me for it. Mm-hmm. And that's okay. And I'll, no, I'm, and that's okay, but it's interesting how high the emotions are and how much people get, you know, they're like, no, those are my pharaohs. Don't you dare. Those are my Confederate rulers. Don't you dare. Yeah. That's my Robert E. Lee. Don't even. And it's, it's all the same bullshit. So it's interesting. It yeah. is. It is. Yeah. I always like struggle with it. Cause you know, when you're young and stuff, you don't think about it critically at all. And I just like sweet, like cool. To stand in front of a statue of Amenhotep III that is so beautifully carved, it makes you want to cry. They're gorgeous. They're gorgeous. It is art. Yes. What does it mean to stand in front of that and then to stand in front of a da Vinci and to know that da Vinci on the side, or maybe as his real income, was was an inventor of weapons? Mm -hmm. And then you're like, whoa. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And it's all all the same Well, it's like things can't just be consumed for like, beauty and you forget all the other aspects that go into its production beauty is a cipher for power blinded by power systems use beauty to obfuscate what they really do like art for art's sake beauty is used to make people under the boot of power grateful for Mm -hmm. that power Mm -hmm. oh but i get to look at something beautiful while this is happening to me and it beauty is only going to work generally on the top 20 to 30% yeah. of a society. The Everyone else like is starving. like, fuck <laughs> this. Which is why when the gates open and there's riots, they'll go to the malls. They'll go to maybe the museums. They'll go to places where the beauty is kept. And when they open those places strike, up... where do we go? Luskin. L- yeah, right. It's a nice, your strike. beautiful hotel. Yeah, you go to the luxury. And we bother the people yes. who are paying a lot of money to stay in the hotel. And they're like, oh my God, how could they do this and to me? And they told us we smelled... Really? Yeah. Did they really tell you smell? Some patrons was like, they're so loud and, and they smell. And they smell. Oh my God. And and so, you know, when a bunch of people open a Nike store, break open a Nike store and take all the shoes, like, oh, they're stealing things that don't belong to my them. My shoes, yeah. My shoes. It's like, but who, but what? But mm-hmm. where do they come from? And how did this happen? Why are they on, like, why are they breaking to the, like, let's think about this. Yeah. So beauty and all the beauties that the ancient Egyptians created that we consume are still a part of this discussion that we're all They're having now. Yeah. They're tainted beauties. <laughs> yeah. And these TV shows are the beautiful things, mm-hmm. right? So to come back to the point that Drew yeah. was asking, you know, it's like... Katie. Katie. Katie sorry, yes. Drew was the last one. Um, but to come back to the point that Katie is asking, it's all about... We want to celebrate the restricted knowledge as if it is ours. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's not. And I would rather talk about these things in a much more Marxist yeah. way. I mean, keep watching. It's, they usually have great visuals. They'll have, you know, up-to-date stuff from excavations and all these types of things. But I guess, you know, combine those things with books and other things and, you know, counter-check, you know, different theories that people yeah. are using and, you know, make up your own opinions about the data. And Bring none a of these very things are set in stone. Critical so. Especially eye. with Cut and the Amarna period. It's all a bunch of circumstantial arguments, so... Bring a very critical eye, ask whom does it serve, who are the super fans, how is it connected to power, how, are is, the, how is modern Egypt using all of these antiquities today, yeah. how did Iran use these antiquities before the fall of the Shah, yeah. how does the United States of America, particularly southern states, but not only, use their antiquities as a sort or ancient or old things to prove their power over others. Um, this, this ancient stuff is... I'll leave whew. it with... The Hancock, Hancock show yeah. on Netflix. Yeah. His son is a Netflix executive. So I'll no leave it. No shit. I'll leave it there. I didn't know that. Yes. Ooh, that's so disgusting. So, I'll leave it there. Gross. Well, and well, I'll add to it then. If you're going to leave it there, <laughs> I'm going to add. Because that Graham Hancock show on Netflix 
is so full of white supremacy. It's bad. Like, and you may say, oh, it's just people talking about ancient aliens. That's not bad. But let me tell you that's like that bad. when you see the people that stormed the Capitol on January 6th associate with ancient Rome or associate with these ancient aliens theories and Graham Hancock drivel. Alien. He just thinks there was a white pre-civilization, oh. that they were all right, white, a pre-Ice Age yeah. white civilization. Yeah. And that it's Which this is like utopian, directly connected yeah. to like race you know, racist theories yeah. and eugenics and all these things. Yeah. It's, so. it's like a proto-evangelical white Jesus yeah. that I just... Adam and Eve. It, and it is used and abused in so many political ways that I just can't. Yeah, I like can't this even, whole Atlantis. No. I don't have any no. patience for it. And it's disgusting propaganda. Yeah. And the amount of white men that peddle in this and that eat it up because it makes them feel big and strong, is disgusting. And don't watch it just to be like, haha, I'm going to laugh at it, because they no. still get views. No. So don't even watch it. Or I'm not watching it. Or, or read have, about there's it. There's people, like, I know a bunch of academics, so, like, I'm not watching it so I can, like, be prepared to, like, rebuke, like, you know, rebuff it and stuff. I'm like, no, you're still giving them views. Mm -mm. You know how to rebuff it. You don't need to watch it. No, fuck that shit. I'm yeah. not watching it. I'm not watching it. So, um, yeah, shame on Netflix for making that. Do a down. For making that and not putting it down as fiction. <laughs> Do a down vote. So we'll just say shame on Netflix. But yes, his son uh, is. Yeah, it's disgusting. So. Disgusting. So no, no bueno, no good. Yeah. yeah. Watch, uh, I don't know, there's a lot of good PBS, Secrets of the Dead on PBS. Mm -hmm. It's a great show. You mm -hmm. should watch those. Yeah. I support those. Well, and some of the best content for, for history is on YouTube and other places mm -hmm. where you find somebody there who's... There are good, good things. Yeah. You know, Ken Burns documentary. PBS yeah. just has great stuff overall. Yeah. You can always just download the PBS app. Other stuff's good. Yeah, yeah YouTube. There's not a lot of stuff that, that I know on the big three, Nat Geo, Discovering History, or that's on Netflix or other places that, that is no. run and produced by women, indigenous people, people on the fringes, minorities. It's still, Ken Burns included for all of his good work, white male yeah, yeah, yeah. run. Yes. And these are problems. Mm -hmm. These are problems. Mm -hmm. And, you know, how do we fix these inequities? It doesn't happen fast or quickly. <laughs> it's just the way the system is. So which is why our podcast exists. Mm -hmm. You know, this is why we do what we do. No, can we make a TV show? Do we have a million dollar budget? Fuck no. But we can at least talk here in a very authentic way as we are as people with all of the passions that we bring to the ancient world. And and that's what we provide as an alternative. Yep. So there are alternative things and we just will keep doing that. Okay. Um, okay. Next question is from Kip. It's so it is a funny. name. I like it. So I've read about a number of Egyptologists offering suggestions as to the pronunciation of Egyptian hieroglyphs, signs, and words. Are these based on Coptic? Do you think these are reasonable estimates or are they just best guesses? So let's... And then also, how did the sound of the language change from Middle Kingdom to later periods? Dude, Kip, don't ask us this question. These this is the questions. hardest. Jesus. Um, Jordan, you want to start? You start. Okay. So uh, what I know... Not Kip. It's a, it's a great it's question. It's a great question. This it's just not our hard. jam. It's not our jam. That's all. So the big answer is we don't know. Yeah. But it's still... People are still looking into it and all this stuff. But there's no, like, hard fast. To reconstruct pronunciations, a lot of times they'll use Coptic right? Because the vowels are included, because yep. we're now using Greek script. Um, and you can kind of reconstruct back, which is like when we had class with Jonathan, he would make us do everything Coptic. We go to late Egyptian, we go to middle Egyptian, we go to old Egyptian. It's awesome. And he'd make us like track it back. So good. And you can see how the sounds are still there. Um, I know also reconstructions have been proposed based off the Amarna letters that are written in Akkadian, where there is more vowels kept. Um, but you get things like Nebharia for like Tut's Nebheruray. Yeah. Nebharia. Yeah. But it's Nebharia. And it's like, how do these really, you know, equate to each other? So we'll say it again slowly. Yes. Nebheruray is the way the... We pronounce it. We, as Egyptologists, yeah. would pronounce it reading the signs. And then in the Akkadian... In the Akkadian, it's uh, Nebharia. Yeah. So it's a little bit more yeah. crunched together. Yeah. But it also could be the Akkadians are hearing this weird Egyptian and writing it down the best that they sounded. And it actually doesn't sound like what was being spoken. Um, but there are attempts. I think uh, James Allen has a book where he attempts to reconstruct sounds. Um, but just we don't have vowels 
um, in most of the words preserved. So it makes it really hard. So like say you have the words bed. Like nefer. Nefer. We have N-F-R. It could be no fair. It could be nefer. It could be nefer. It could be nefer. It could be no fair. Nefer. Like, or the words bed and bead, you know, mm -hmm. you have a B and you have a D and then the Egyptians will put a picture of a bed after one and a little bead after another. Is it bode? Is yeah. it bide? Is yeah. it, I mean, it's not. There could be vowels in between, yeah. before, voiced, yeah. you know, voiceless, yeah. aspirate, like, yeah. there's all these things that can make the sound, the words sound really different. Um, a lot of stuff also comes from later Greek, like Osiris, like phrases out of how it's rendered in the Greek. And then that, you know, assumes our pronunciation. So it's a lot of guessing. Um, so in short, you should look at vocalization and do Alan some... Alan has a book on it. Yeah, yeah. Do, do some searches on that. There's, there's going to be articles on Google Scholar and other places. And um, a new a, um, graduate from UChicago presented at ASOR a couple weeks ago, um, Brendan Hanlon. And he's working on a database. It's really cool. He's collecting all um, Afro... Asiatic languages, modern and ancient, into a database in attempts to find cognates and stuff. Oh and he's God. already done all the Egyptian forms. He's input, but he's collecting like, you know, like Libyan and he's collecting all of them and he's trying to find speakers, modern speakers. He's going to put Berber in there yeah. and Chadic. He's doing Berber, all of them. Chadic and So you can see the like connections between all the, the, like, the language family, oh like goodness. they do for like Proto-Indo-European and stuff. So Extraordinary. I would follow him. He has a he has a website for it. Right. So if you look him up on, find his academia and stuff like this, um, he's starting this project. It's very preliminary right now, but I think ongoing stuff like this will get, because, you know, Berber, spoken Berber now might help us reconstruct what things sounded like right. in the past and things like this. Or spoken certain, Nubian. Or certain words that, like, you know, are common in all of these languages. Mm -hmm. You know, okay, they were part of this mother tongue mm -hmm. that all of these are derived from then in, like, you know, Northeast Africa or whatever. And I have heard people say until quite recently, people could, you could still find people speaking Coptic in their households. Yeah. And Coptic is ancient Egyptian. Yeah. The, like, like the legacy of it. So a lot of similar phrasing and words. Yeah. Um, and of course, Jean-Paulion was a Coptologist. Yes, that and that's how. translate. He, he had to crack the code, but he, then he had the language mm -hmm. already there. He knew Coptic. So he knew Egyptian in its latest form and was able to track yeah. it back. It so. does help. But again, I'm not <laughs> not a linguist. Yeah. Um, yeah. As for how the sound of the language changed from the Middle Kingdom to later periods, you also have to think about dialects. There would have been dialects throughout the country also. Yeah. Sociolects. So like what the court was speaking versus what... What's the text that says that I am like a man from yes, the Delta um, who can't... Or I'm like a man from Upper Egypt who can't understand from a man the from the Delta? Period. It's um, part of that. Is it Sinue? No. Well, even just Sanue. Yeah. When you read the text, what's the man's name? Sa-nacht. Yeah, and we pronounce it. <laughs> and then we've been taught through vocalization Sinue. that that would have, that Sa-nacht would have been pronounced Sinue. Sinuach, yeah. And, Sinue. okay, yeah. so that's using Coptic yep. vocalization techniques to apply it to that man's name. I don't play this game because I'm not skilled enough yeah. to play this game. So I stay out of things that I don't know how to play properly. Yes, that's like people who are trained in like linguistics yeah. and like yeah. not just Egyptologists. Yeah. And that's right? great. And you're using it's all this like computational yeah. analysis and yeah. big things like this. Yeah. Um, but yes, it obviously would have changed a lot. Middle Egyptian to a late Egyptian person probably would have sound like, you know, like Shakespeare to us or yeah. something like this. this and even like, Shakespeare had an extraordinarily different pronunciation. Yeah. So if we read Shakespeare in the King's English today, it would have sounded very different, yep. I've been told, in the 17th and 16th century. Mm -hmm. So, you know. So, yeah, would have been... Our, our system of reading it, our system of transcribing it and pronouncing it is a completely fabricated yeah. system that works amongst us. <laughs> yeah. Right, like just saying, like, like when we read sentences like "eu," "sedrum," "f," whatever, "air," "pair," like that's like a, probably an ancient Egyptian would have been like, "What are you saying?" And our American accent is different from the French accent. It's yeah. different from the Egyptian accent of these things, and that's yeah, and that's fine. so. Yeah. It's just a system of a agreed upon system, so we all can we made a new language essentially. We did kind of so, but yeah, I think. Maybe in the coming years, people will continue to kind of work on this and crack it. But it's a if, cool... 
if you want to have fun with this, then you should it's you should get the movie. Um, what's the Stuart Tyson Smith Stargate. one? Stargate. Yeah. And he so Stuart Tyson Smith is a professor at UC Santa Barbara. He's he's really great. He does archaeology of the ancient Egyptians Sudan. and hybrid yeah. Nubian culture in Sudan. Um, and has been working there for decades, but he also has a side gig in vocalization mm -hmm. reconstructions and works for Hollywood all the time creating dialogue. Mm -hmm. And he did Stargate, he did The Mummy, so when they actually have dialogue that needs to be pronounced correctly, he takes this shit very yeah. seriously. He works with the actors, he, make, he helps them to learn to pronounce it, and um, it's, you know, but just yeah, rent but his Stargate. his is based off Coptic. Yeah. 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 That's our best, yeah. our closest guess, so... Yes. Uh, we have another question from Drew Varney. Okay, I don't know if this is blasphemous, oh. but what would you have studied slash pursued if you didn't go into Egyptology? Uh, well, it would have been dead people of some kind. <laughs> I mean... Okay, if you didn't do academia, you can't be like, oh, I would have studied, like, <sighs> dead Aztecs. Like, no. Pick oh, something, like, totally... To okay, fine. Then I would have gone the witchcraft route, and I would totally be, like, an herbalist. Doula. I would be an herbalist or alternative medical something. I would have... You you guys all know yes. I'm super <laughs> interested in alternative it's medical... You as, like, a midwife. Right? Yeah. Like, midwife or, or, like, herbalist growing weird herbs and grinding them up and making potions and shit. Or, like, in grad school, I you remember... You be Claire from Outlander. I, yes! <laughs> I would, I would love that. I would love to be Claire from um, Diana Gabolda's novels, Gabolden's novels. But you know, that that would that would be super fun. Um, I I can imagine trying to be a little subversive with some of that, and even with COVID, you know, it drives me crazy that people don't use the obvious herbal remedies that are all around us. And I'm always telling people, oregano oil, oregano oil. But I, I'm very interested in these kinds of um, non-traditional, non -traditional, deep indigenous things that mm -hmm. have been practiced with plants and humans working together over millennia. That's so interesting. Mm -hmm. And how they know, oh, if you take this plant, it'll do that and take that plant, it'll do this. Mm -hmm. And of course, in modern society, they, they crack down on that and say that it's witch doctory or it's immoral or it's it's crack well, or, or quack, quackery i think crack. because <laughs> there is actually like quackery yes still going on especially yes. around covid yeah. i think people are then very like they wholesale say anything that's non-traditional falls into that category right so it needs you know like um non-western medicine like you know reavow be, be i guess Contextual. Yeah, I can imagine. Like, don't becoming, take your invermicin, but <laughs> right, ivermectin, you know, ivermectin, whatever yeah. it's called. I can imagine going to acupuncture school. Mm -hmm. I can imagine um, mm -hmm. it's you know, but I, but true. <laughs> I like to keep a bit of a disconnect from the grossness of the human body. Yeah. So I'm not a surgeon and watching those things will make me keel over. Maybe I could get over that, but I'm not that person who's like, oh, I need to see that on TV. So you're more like, I, again, we fall back to you would like want to research it. I think so. Or I'd like be like- Like a history of medicine or something like that. I, or... I would be the herbalist, like yeah. making shit, like um, like the little French dude in like the Diana- Like apothecary. Yes, I, an yes. apothecary is my jam. The apothecary. I would, I would like that. But don't give me- you don't, don't want to see the body. <laughs> and I also don't want recipes that are, like, too exact. I like my recipes to be more... She likes not to bake, to cook. I, I don't... Exactly. I like to cook, not to bake. Um, that is very much my style. Bakers are their own thing, and I am very mm -hmm. much a, a cook. Yeah. What would you do? So... This question can go both ways. Why yeah. don't you have to answer? I'll answer. Um, <laughs> so I think mine would be in the medical field. Really? Sixth house son. I think I always both wanted to be us. a vet. Um, See, I can't stick my fingers up a dog's butt. You could do that. Yeah. Because that's what a vet is. Really, you have to go. The, don't laugh, Amber. Because really, you have to ask yourself, if I'm going to be a midwife, can I stick my fingers up another woman's vagina while she's in labor? I'm like, yeah, I don't really want to do yeah. that exactly. Oh, second. But you could do that with a dog? Yeah. I mean, the part, the reason I didn't pursue it when I was younger yeah. was because my dad told me you have to operate on dead dogs first before you can operate on real that life dogs. That is dog. true. And I, as, as a youth, it scared me. But the older I get, the more I come back to being very interested in medicine of some sort, surgery. It doesn't, like, I'm not squeamish about that kind of stuff. Yeah, you can watch I, all the surgery I, stuff. I, like, read a bunch of books about the history of medicine. Um, it very much interests me. So, like, yeah, I think I would be, like... Veterinarian. 
a vet or some type of surgeon. Amber? Yes? Go ahead. Probably. My mom was a nurse, so probably something similar. Maybe not like a doctor full-on, but I could see therapy, occupational therapy. She'd be a great doctor. You know, something like that. She'd have good bedside manner. So I've been told, but... You are mama. Yeah. But same thing with Kara. Like, I'm not necessarily into the... Gooey. Fluids. And well, see, like... I feel like if you're a surgeon, like you have to deal with blood, but you don't have to deal with like vomit. Actually, like someone else does that. <laughs> forensics. Yes. I also <gasps> thought about like detective, but I don't want to be involved with the police. See, because I read Patricia Cornwell. Yeah. Like if I could just be like a, like yeah. Perot or like. And I actually talked <laughs> to Sherlock Holmes on the side. Forensic scientist in high school. That's cool. But ultimately I decided that I couldn't handle. Goo. Like, seeing a dead body. Well, the emotional weight. Yeah, that's fair. Of having to do it day in and day out. Like, yeah. you know, Paul Holes, yes. you know, talks about how it was Yeah, a lot of them all have, like, PTSD and stuff. Yeah. yeah. Cops. And, and like... so I decided, no. So I stuck to distant dead people. Yeah. I think that's all distant of us. Distant dead people, distant dead people. When it comes yeah. down to it, I know, and I, I kind of have to take back all that I just said, because I'm a teacher. Mm -hmm. That's what I am. I'm a teacher. I've always been a teacher. I will always be a teacher. And if I couldn't be a teacher of... Egyptology and ancient studies at UCLA or an R1 university, I would be a teacher of history somewhere yeah. in some way, trying to, you know, bring passion. That was to only two. It was always being a teacher or being yeah. a vet. Yeah. Because I liked help. I wanted to help animals. I am an educator. So, so yeah. Yeah. That's the, and here we are on a podcast. Yeah. But it wouldn't be like engineering. Like, oh my no God, interest. the bridge would fall. Like, I have no interest in like... You know, like being an astronaut or something no, like that. No, I don't want to go like, into space. No, thank Ugh. you. No, no, no. Yeah. No, no interest. Isn't that um, funny? The things you know you don't want yeah, to do. Like, mm -mm. No. And the, you could not do. You're like, people will die yeah. if I do that job. Like, don't trust me with those things. No. 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 Okay. Um, and our last question is, this was, this topic was milling around on our Patreon, uh, Discord. Mm -hmm. So I wanted to talk about it a little bit out more. Um, the new Indiana Jones trailer was released. Oh, shit, you could have um, showed it to me. Well, so the trailer is very, like, it doesn't reveal anything. You know, okay. it just has, you know, Harrison Ford, they've... Oh, is this about the Twitter thing that says the professor should retire? Well, that's, that's funny, but it's <laughs> people... Our patrons started talking about like thoughts on these these characters: Indiana Jones, Lara Croft, yeah. Nathan Drake, who's another video game adventurer type character, and how Thank many you for of, explaining that to me and knowing that I would not I knew have you known didn't know who that was. Thank God. Um, but many of us get pulled into our interest in archaeology, or Egyptology through these through Indiana Jones or these games that are problematic right. in their portrayals. Yes. Again, similar to the Discovery Plus show that we were just talking about. Yeah. So like. How do we reckon, you know, our interest with Indiana Jones, Lara Croft, where it's literally Lara Croft Tomb Raider, like, it's very treasure hunting. A lot of the Indiana Jones stuff is kind of like pseudo-science, like the Crystal Skull, then people were talking about whether or not they liked the Crystal Skulls. Crystal Skulls, um... I like the way you say skull. I know, I, I just corrected myself. I was like, skull. <laughs> skull. Um, <laughs> crystal Skull. Um, she has edit power, so she can do it. Yes, I can she erase my school. <laughs> Not like she said, ribald. Ribald. God. Um, <laughs> you're not going to let that down now. Ever. Um, it's on her tombstone. Yeah, ribald. <laughs> Amber. And here, Yon was one ribald lass or something. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, so our. Our thoughts on these how do we still enjoy them for what they are should we be critical of ourselves for enjoying them or should we just enjoy them and you know not think too much about it i don't know what the new indiana jones is about like the trailer didn't really give anything away like what the plot point is what mystery he's delving into i know it's there's like a new character and stuff and obviously he's really old but <laughs> i mean i don't know yeah, I. It, you so, don't you don't partake in many of these things. I mean, I no, I showed my son all of the Indiana no. Joneses not long ago. We agreed that the second one was was still shit. Yeah, 
but he loved the first and mm-hmm. the third ones, and we had a whole Indiana Jones thing going on, and it was fun. No, we didn't. Even, I didn't even tell him there was a fourth. Yeah, that was, I didn't even. I was. I was just Crystal like, Skull there's three bad. movies. <laughs> the second one is yeah. really racist, and it introduced him to what racism yeah. is. That's useful in its way. Yeah. So you know, weird. Actually, I took a class on Orientalism in my undergrad. Yeah. And we watched the first yeah. Indiana Jones. Yeah. It's a good way of talking about Orientalizing themes yeah. in media. Yeah. So. I mean, a lot of just watching that first one again and you, and I just put this in the Substack, right? Mm-hmm. Where I said how we're now even looking at Indiana Jones's moral take on antiquities as that belongs in a museum. No. Why? Why does it belong in a museum and not am- amongst its, its indigenous, no. ma- indigenous makers and people? It should be there. Why do we put it into this white-owned institution? Mm-hmm. W- how is that the moral option? Yeah, and or so, leave it in place and just don't, don't dig it up. <laughs> or, or leave it in the temple and let people worship it in there, yeah. whatever it is. Yeah. Um, but, but so there's all kinds of things that we thought were moral and good that are not. Um, so... You know, it, I think it'll follow the same uh, patriarchal can, white male yeah. norms, but... I mean, it, you can still have fun with it and watch it for what it is and enjoy it and not think too, you know, deep into it. But it'll still follow the but, like, it typical follows, white male norms. They'll try to fake it out. They'll bring yeah. in female they and did, non-white characters. Yeah, they're bringing in a woman. And he'll still be the lead yeah. and the most important one. And they'll be like, oh, no, but we're being diverse. But are they really... Yeah. And how does it work? And, you know, it's fine. I think you can think critically about it and have those thoughts, but also be, like, for what, you know, enjoy it. Like, playing Lara Croft games or the Nathan Drake. Like, you can play those games and know in your head, like, this is problematic and, like, make-believe, like, treasure hunting. But, like, I'm not physically supporting. Well, Lara Croft in some ways is worse because she's only there because she's hot and fuckable. It's a very male gaze. And yeah. if she's not hot and fuckable and commodifiable and ownable, then why even bother? It's not like Laura Croft is going to get to have a TV show where she's a 77-year-old woman being Laura Croft. But then I also remember watching Angelina Jolie in Laura Croft when I was younger and being like, she's so badass and like awesome and like, like not like, obviously, she was hot and all this kind of stuff, too. But I viewed her as, like, like oh, she's, like, a female, like, action hero, like, not a man. And, all, like, she's badass. Like, she doesn't need any men. Like, blah, blah, blah. So, it's, like, I, you know. I get it. Yeah. But, you know. But um, as I got older, yes, it's, like, you see yeah, it then more. Yeah, then you see, well, where's the, the older female yeah, who gets she to. she had to be hot. And, yeah. like, wear tight clothes and have long hair and. But at the All same this. time, and there was the still first, like a love interest. The in. first Indiana Jones, when when Marion says to him, "I was a child, I was in love, it was wrong, and you knew it." That's that's academia power dynamics of grad student advisor in a nutshell, yeah. and it was very well put. And that's that's interesting in and of itself. So you know, I'm not going to throw out the whole thing. It's you know, it's the society that we are still a part of, yeah. and let's see what they're able to do. Oh, I mean. Yeah. Yeah. It's the same with, like, we always come back to The Mummy and how we love it. I love The Mummy. Obviously problematic. It's, you know, a little colonial whatever, but they do it in, like, a cool, campy way. And And really feminist. Yeah. Super feminist. But but feminist from the inside of the patriarchy having to fight against all of this absurdity. But really, really well done. Yeah. So, you know. Um, I say enjoy your shows. Yeah, I'm okay with you it. Know. I'm okay with it. On the grand scheme of things, I think they're not that. But let's see how pseudo-archaeology they go. That's what I'm worried. Because I'm more worried about the pseudo-archaeology rather than like like patriarchy and like these types of tropes yeah. coming in. Yeah. Like, I don't want it to be, yeah, like there's aliens or this grand civilization that interconnected everyone and... Well, because any time Indiana Jones comes in, it's always about the conspiracy, fight, the fight over an object over or, or over some object that holds restricted power yeah. or restricted knowledge. That two parties are trying to find which <laughs> has to be hoarded, controlled, contained, yeah. which is that hoarding, controlling and containing is control over scarce resources in a patriarchal system. And that's not archaeology. It's not archaeology. <laughs> it's not the way that we should deal with such objects. Yeah. And so the very aspect of, of how these antiquities are um, sourced mm-hmm. is, is, is problematic. Yeah. So, you know, but whatever. Whatever. 
it, it shows that these objects continue to have great power over us. Well, and I think anything that shows that they're still making movies about this stuff and TV shows and documentaries and all this stuff is that there is a genuine interest in it. And so it's like the onus is on these to not take advantage of people's interests yeah. and feed them lies. Yeah. <laughs> but we'll yeah. see. Yeah. Because yeah. they deserve better, but you know. Alas. Okay. So those are all my questions for our December well, that was fun. Patreon. Uh, thank you all for sending them in. Yeah, thanks for, for sending in awesome questions. And uh, make sure you check out our Substack every week. Mm -hmm. um, Jordan and Amber are collecting, and I help too, <laughs> and I can't, collecting all the articles. And then the three of us write together mm -hmm. um, our, our comments on each discovery, idea, whatever, and try to bring as authentically as possible what we really are, are feeling about it and why it matters at all. So make sure you check that out. Um, if you are not a patron with Patreon, get on that yep. uh, because you get to ask us questions. You get to be part of live Zooms that other people don't get to be a part of. Yep. The and Discord channel. The Discord channel is fun. Yep. Um, so, you know, keep connecting in those ways. And um, yeah. Good. Yeah. And we'll see you. We have more cool content planned for the new year. Yeah. So we'll see you. This will be our last December episodes yeah. um, and we'll see everyone in the new year and we hope you all have a good holiday season take a break yeah rest yeah and yeah take care of yourself and hopefully the uc strike will come to an end yeah, a, a satisfactory a <laughs> you'll have a job hopefully it will come to a satisfactory end uh soon so inshallah, inshallah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. inshallah we get that. yeah all right on that note this is afterlives of ancient egypt okay bye everyone bye Thank you to our listeners for your support and for subscribing wherever you listen. If you enjoyed the show, please share it with others and leave us a five-star review. Send us your questions related to the show and topic suggestions for future episodes to karakuni at gmail.com. You can find the show notes in the podcast section of my website, karakuniegyptologist.com. For that, thank you, Amber Myers-Wells. There you'll also find info on my books and upcoming lectures. While you're there, don't forget to sign up for my newsletter to keep up on the latest news and content from me. Check out the conversations that happen after the podcast mic is turned off by subscribing to our Substack After Lives After Party. You can find me on Facebook at Karakuni Egyptologist and on Twitter and Instagram at Karakuni. See you next time on After Lives with Karakuni.